You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Um, so it's cool. So we're in Colossians chapter 3. I've got to keep my head in it because I was thinking about Colossians chapter 4 most of yesterday. Colossians chapter 3. Um, and, and it's interesting. But let me ask this question. Anybody like love golf? Not a little bit, but like love it. Anybody? Anybody in the room? What? The others? Yeah, oh, yeah. One or two. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, yeah, there was a bit of a shame, I have to say, as you were raising your like, oh, I better put my hand up. Um, it's funny, isn't it, when someone's obsessed with something you're not interested in? Like, and you kind of like golf, you know. What is that about? I have no interest in it. I've never I played golf once. I went with a friend of mine who says he plays all the time, and I beat him. So I don't quite know what that was about. Um, <laughs> But it's a strange thing. But what about football? Let's try football. Anybody, you know, like genuinely, reasonably obsessed with football? Reasonably, okay, all right, okay. Anybody just don't care about football whatsoever? Yeah, that's, in, that's a whole swing that is in the room, that is. And, and what's, what's really interesting is when someone's obsessed with something, you don't get it, do you? You know, they, they talk to you about elements of it and you're thinking to yourself, shut up. Just be more, listen, church, be honest. You're just thinking to yourself, I don't care what you're talking about. You're talking about people and names and places and points and, and you know, goal difference. I don't give a monkey's what you're talking about. It's something inside of us when so. what about this? Anybody sort of collect something? Like you're a bit, you're, you're a bit of a collector of, it could be anything. There can be a wide range of things people collect. If you collect something that lives on shelves, just, just, what do you collect that lives on shelves? Handbags, that is true, you do. <laughs> oh, that is actually true. And I've bought most of them. And so, um, and so if that's you, if that's you, do you collect something that lives on a shelf? Yeah, come on, confession time. Just confession, the Bible tells is good for the soul. Anyone? No, that's interesting. My, uh, my mother-in-law collects something and all I keep thinking is, if you leave it for us, I'm selling it. Um, it is amazing what people get obsessed with, don't it? Like, I mean, I, I mean obsessed. I don't mean you like it, but obsessed with. So, every stand to your feet. Uh, come on, everybody in the room, cross the room. I want you to turn to somebody you did not come to church with, who is not in your family, just in case you met me, and and tell them what you're really obsessed with. Like, be honest. Be actually honest. Don't if you. you all right, come on. All right, okay, okay, bring it in. Hopefully you've both shared. Look at that, this is gone. I've lost the entire room. All right, bring it in. All right, um, grab your seat for a minute. Have you just learned, have you, have you, someone just surprised you? Anybody been surprised by the neighbour? Oh, okay, I mean, I'm very interested to know what happened there. All right, surprise, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah definitely, that's weird. Um, you know, you, you find things about people, you know, that, 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 that catch you out. Let me read you this from C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis wrote this in 1949. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward 
and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child, we want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis is writing what Paul explains in Colossians 3, that we become obsessed with things that are not the right thing. Something gets our attention and we make our life somehow centred around it. We don't set out to go in that direction, but somehow this thing, this other, this something becomes the centre of our lives. I can't tell you the number of times I've been pastor church for 30 years now that you've watched someone become the centre of someone else's life. A husband or a wife, a, a guy pursuing a girl, a girl pursuing a guy. You see these things, you, go, you can see what they're becoming the centre of their life. Or people have children and the children become the centre of your life. They become what the whole of life revolves around. And Paul's writing to the Colossians, and as Pastor Glenn said, into this Greco-Roman world where it is ordered and controlled, into this world that is run by powers and, and is a difficult, changing world, into a world by what is true and what we believe clash, into that world. Paul is writing, and this is what he says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, let me stop on that, shall we, for a second. See, it's easy to read this verse and read, when Christ who is your life appears. And our focus is on Christ's appearing. That the day is coming when Jesus will appear once again in bodily form. He will return. And we focus on the appear. But there is a comma that makes who is your life pretty important. When Christ... Who is your life? Not when Christ, who saved you once. Or when Christ, who you visit on a Sunday. Not when Christ, who you visit Monday through to Saturday, because you don't need to devotion Sunday because you're at church. You can skip it. It's all right, right? When When Christ, who is your life? Paul's writing to us, Pastor Glenn just said, a young church, oppressed and persecuted. And he starts with that, who is your life? What are you obsessed with? Like when that question happened a minute ago, I bet you... Somebody might have thought, I could say Jesus. But it sounds a spiritual answer, doesn't it? it? Sounds like a Sunday school answer. Every question, the answer is Jesus. Right? Yet, what are we obsessed with? What is it that is the centre point of our lives? 
Imagine just having Christ as what everything revolves around. So Paul's advice to a church in the midst of culture war, be obsessed with Jesus. Orientate every decision you have around Jesus. He goes on and he says, how do you do that? How do you get yourself obsessed with Christ? And he says, first of all, set your heart on things above. I don't know about you, but emotion plays an important part of my life. I wouldn't want to not have my emotions. Imagine going through life emotionless, just flat, continually, neither up nor down, just flat. But he says, set your heart, the seat of your emotion, set it on things above. What is it that brings you joy? What it is that brings you laughter? What is it that brings you life? What is it that brings you sadness? But you set your heart on things above. Make sure that your emotions actually are more taken with what Christ is doing than what you are doing. That your emotions are more taken with what he's doing and working out through the church than what he's doing and working out through your business. That he is the heart of what you're about. Your emotions are sat there. And then he says, set your mind. Not on earthly things. So he's talking about those two rails of our life, our heart and our thinking, our emotions and our mind. And he's saying, hey, it is easy for you to get caught on one of these things going the wrong way. When we live all in our emotion, we find ourselves easily off balance in life because it's what other people do to us that causes our emotions to move. Or it's our perception of what other people do to us, or even worse, it's our perception of what we think other people think of us, which is impossible to quantify, but we're looking at it and we're letting our emotions rule our lives and life feels like you're living on one rail, balancing on one foot. So Paul is saying to him, don't let the emotions of life be the controlling factor of living for Jesus. He's also saying this, don't let what you think be the only controlling factor of living for Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes people can change my mind. Someone tells you, that looks great. You put it on, you looked, you thought, that looks terrible. They say, that looks great. You go around going, this looks great. Who do you know whether they lied or not? <laughs> Some things can change our mind. The power of a great salesman is the power to change your mind. You just looked at that car, you glanced at it, you didn't really want to buy it, but suddenly you have keys and a piece of paper and it's yours. What happened there? Someone changed your mind. And our minds are changeable. Now, if our emotions are changeable and our minds are changeable and we're told to set our hearts on things above and not set our minds on earthly things, then we have got to find the space where we are in sync in our thinking and our emotion. Because when you're in sync with your thinking and emotion, you are... In Christ, who is your life? Because suddenly you can find yourself safe and secure when circumstance and people are against you. And we live in a culture where our orthodox conservative beliefs as a church mean that we are often on the wrong side of culture. So we need to know that emotionally, this is not against you. Have you found it's a strange thing? 
Disagreeing with someone now is about how you feel about them, not about what you believe. So you disagree with someone on an, an, a topic, an issue, and they perceive that as you're against them as a person. That's what our culture's doing all the time. It's making it a binary conversation where we go, you're either for me totally or you're against me. No, no, there's just a few things I disagree with. I'm not against you as a person. I just disagree with a few things that are going on in your life. It's amazing. Um, they're just fawning to say that they're not happy with what I've just said. Um, they've disagreed. Um, and that's what happens. And, and what we can't do nowadays, we can't disagree with someone and still hold a relationship. Because in the disagreement, we've judged them as a whole. Oh, Paul's saying this. You've got to be able to do both things here. You've got to have your emotion anchored. And you're thinking anchored. If you've got your emotion thinking anchored, you're not controlled by their emotion, which is affecting your emotion, nor you're controlled by their thinking, which is affecting your thinking. You say, okay, this is Jesus here. I'm living in this space. I'm believing what he's teaching. I'm holding to what he's saying. He is my life. I am obsessed with him. All this other stuff is peripheral to that. Hey, let me talk to you about Jesus. You know, too often we get caught up in the emotional conversation. You feel that, I feel different. Oh, let's fall out. Oh, we get caught up in the thinking conversation. You think that, I think different. Let's fall out about that. Actually, we need to get caught up in the Jesus conversation. Well, oh, that's really interesting you think that. Can I talk to you about Jesus? Because if Christ is your obsession, like you talk to somebody who really loves football, they can't help it. It just comes out of them. They just, you're talking to them. And before you know it, they're banging on about their team. Anybody ever found that? Yeah. Yeah. Or someone's absolutely obsessed with the children. Or one of the children, right? <laughs> and you're talking to them. Before you know it, they're banging on about this child. And you're thinking to yourself, you've told me this before. <laughs> I am fully not interested, right? And, and, and they just can't help it. When Christ, who is your life? You want to talk to me about sexuality? Oh, let me talk to you about Jesus. I just can't help it. You want to talk to me about your politics? Oh, great. Oh, can I talk to you about Jesus? Because I'm so obsessed with him. You can bring all of those things. And here's the truth. The answer to all those questions, somehow it's Jesus. It's not a Sunday school issue. It's a life issue. Because I've decided I'm so obsessed with him that he affects every part of my life. And whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm dealing with, whatever you're wrestling with, somehow in the middle of that is Jesus and his love for you. So if your politics is bigger than Jesus' love for you, you made politics God. And if your sexuality is bigger than Jesus' love for you, you made your sexuality God. But what if I can just hold in the middle here and go, hey, I'm all about Jesus. And can we talk about him and how much he loves us? Oh, please, don't dial it down. Let's have an intellectual conversation. He's about as intellectual as you get. Like you try and explain the Trinity. Three, three and one, all different, yet the same. You want to work your way through that intellectually? No one's got their way through that intellectually in 2,000 years. He is the most complex of complexity. He is... He is the point of all emotion. 
Because he is so powerful that he says, when I come and I come into a situation, I speak into it and it's so powerful, it's like cutting the marrow out of the bone. Just comes right into, it's that sharp, what he brings. He says, and I come in, I come into a situation and suddenly families go, Psh! And what was absolutely secure is now insecure. Why? Because the love of God came in and what made that whole suddenly doesn't make it as complete as it was before because they realised this is not complete because Jesus arrived and he makes it whole. In all of that complexity, Jesus sits in the middle. Everything is different because Christ came in. And Paul's trying to explain it to the Colossians. He's saying, listen, don't let the culture that is outside you impose itself on you. Set your heart on what's above. Set your mind not on earthly things. And then those things can, they can exist outside and you can live in the middle of it. And in living in the middle of it, you'll have to navigate all sorts of parts of it. But do that. And then he says, and this is how you do this. First of all, put to death. That is not, that is not a light piece of advice, is it? Do you know what I mean? Like someone comes over and goes, I've got a little bit of a suggestion for you. And then they open up with put to death. You know, you go to your doctor. He says, you've got to stop eating cheese. It's not doing your heart good. You've got to stop doing that. Put to death cheese. Right, just, just let me be clear, you know, just put it to death. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Why? Because there is a new humanity for us as followers of Jesus. That there is the old humanity that you were born with, your earthly nature, and there is a new humanity. We bring that, new, that old humanity and we put it to death. I don't know about you, but sometimes it comes back to life in me and I have to kill it again. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Idolatry, anything that takes the place of God. Put it to death. Anything that you're more obsessed with than you are with Jesus. Anything that you would rather give your money to than Jesus. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And then he says this, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived because when you became a follower of Jesus, you were born again. It is a new humanity, born again. But now... You must also rid yourselves of these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self, your old humanity and all of its practices and you've put on your new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. Paul saying, get, you've got to get this off you. Do you want a list? Here's the list. Get these things out of your life. Get obsessed with Jesus and get these things out of you. Stop getting mad that the world's against you. The world's against you. We said it last week. Why is the world against us? Because it was against him first. It's just that we're his. And because we're his, it's against us. Whoopie day. That's life. 
He says, just, you've got to get rid of this stuff. If you don't get rid of it, it's going to kill you. And then he says this, so as God's chosen people, so what should you be like? Holy, dearly loved, clothe yourself. So he said, take off, rid yourself of this. And then he says, clothe yourself with. Get changed out of how you used to look in your old humanity. Get changed out of how you used to dress in your old humanity. The attitudes, the ways of thinking, the ways of practice. Get, get changed out of and get changed into this. Get changed into compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Forgive one another. If any of us agreements against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of this, put on love. So he said, get rid of all this. Put on all these things. And then he gets really specific. Let me tell you how. Let me tell you how. He says, listen, remember, Paul is talking to a Roman world. Patriarch. Thank you for the keys. That was beautifully timed. Patriarchy. That just means that the man rules. And this is how he opens up. He says, hey, wives. If this, this verse on its own is terrifying, this verse in context is liberating. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, this is new humanity. This is what it looks like. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Jesus is coming and he's saying, what, what does real marriage look like? He's saying, fellas, this is on you. You've got to make your wife feel so loved, so believed in, so empowered, so released to be who she's supposed to be. You've got to create such an environment that she loves everything about it. And when you do that, her part's easy. He puts all the pressure on the guy and he says, hey, this is on you. Fellas, there is a new humanity upon us for how women are treated. Now, if we just watched anything of politics of the last few weeks, there is a new humanity upon us for how women should be treated that liberates and frees. That women shouldn't have to clamour to be equal because it should be the natural state of a man lifting up a woman so that she is free from all of that claptrap that fellas have put on women for so long. That should be where it is. Then, and, and I, I, I do understand, listen, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I've been married for 29 years this year and I'm a dad of two 20-something girls. I do understand this stuff as much as a fella can. I understand it. But I've got to tell you, it's, it's in our court as men to raise men who know how to treat women and raise women who know how they should be treated so that they don't accept being treated in a poor way because of somebody's bad health that's brought to them. How do we do that? Because he then leans into this. He then says, children, obey your parents in everything because this pleases the Lord. I'd like to add a little bracket and the parents. Right? 
but he doesn't stick with the children. Notice where he goes immediately. Roman culture talks to the patriarch, the head of the home, and he says, fathers, do not embitter your children. That was a little aggressive, Stuart. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. He puts the weight of the issue back on the dad. And he says, hey, how you treat your children, the way you are with them, it is our job as parents and guardians to train our children in this new humanity, to train them in the ways of God, to be obsessed with Jesus, so that when they come to a point of maturity, they can step into it easily. That means growing up, they are secure in who they are because you've made them secure. They're secure in who they are because they know who they are in Christ. Not who they are in their dad's image or who they are in their mum's image. Who they are in Christ. It's not about their surname. It's not about the job that they get. They need that sense that in Christ, they have everything they need for life and godliness. That's Parenting 101. When we pour that in. So Paul says, what's it like to raise kids in this environment that is against you? Make them secure in Christ. Don't let them get worked up and, and wound up and don't wind them up yourself. You deal with that. And then he says, what does this look like? Because in the church, and, and, and we're going to get to this next week in chapter four. Chapter four, there's a bombshell moment that you've read and you don't realise the bombshell. There is a bombshell moment in chapter four. Because in the church on a Sunday are slaves. They've come to church either with their master or they've been released to go to church. And so Paul talks to the slaves and he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord's reward. It is Christ. Sorry, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There is no favoritism. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know you have a master in heaven. Uh, Paul, he's saying, hey, you're a slave. It's circumstantial. It's not who you are. It doesn't define the person you are. I think part of it that confuses us is we want Paul to just say, slaves, be free. Masters, let them go. The entire economy of the Roman world was built around this. And he just subverts it by saying, slaves, don't work that way because they make you. Work that way because you love Jesus. What? Let your obsession with Jesus be so powerful, it does not matter the circumstance of your life. Understand, slave, they're not your master, Jesus is. Understand, church, they're not your boss, Jesus is. The person who pays your salary doesn't pay your salary, Jesus is your provider. 
if we're obsessed with Christ, we see Him coming through in every part of our lives, in every sphere of our work. We see Him coming through. It is a new humanity that says this slave who was a Roman citizen, they had the right to kill. You don't have that because they're as human as you are. It is a radical idea. They have the same value you have to Jesus. He loves them as much as he loves you. Get over yourself. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. They didn't have to do either of those things. Fair. The right salary for the right job. Fair. Didn't even have to pay them. Paul is turning the whole culture on its head. What is going on? There is a revolution that changes lives when we get obsessed with Jesus. When Jesus becomes the center point, our all in all, the thing that matters the most, when he becomes what is important to everything we do, everything changes. Paul in chapter 4 is going to go on and he's going to help us to understand more of the application of this. So I encourage you to be here next week as we unpack this. But imagine what happens when we do this. Paul said earlier in verse 14, and over all those virtues put on love. How did the culture see the followers of Jesus? Because of how they love people. Not because of how they love God. Everybody was trying to show love to some God somehow. But of how they loved others who weren't like them. Because the patriarchal men would hang out with the other patriarchal men. The slaves would hang out with slaves. The foreigners with foreigners. And Paul goes, here there is no Gentile or Jew. There is neither circumcised nor uncircumcised. There's no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But in this new humanity, Christ is all and is in all. If we get obsessed with Jesus, we see him in one another. And then it don't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter what we earn. It doesn't matter our social status. It doesn't matter our history or our family. It doesn't matter our nationality or our colour. What we're looking for is Jesus in me, Jesus in you. And that common, real humanity is what makes the church the church. We show love for one another, not because we're like each other, but because He is in us. And Christ is our all in all. I want to encourage you today. I'm going to finish in just a moment. We've got to get more obsessed with Jesus. We've got to see Jesus in ourselves but in other people. We've got to look beyond 
the markers that society tells us we should measure. Because this is a war we live in, a cultural war where the way someone dresses or looks means we should be like them or not. It's a cultural war where the way someone believes or thinks means we could be friends with them or not. And Christ says, no, no, no. We've got to see in each and every one of us. It is a new humanity where regardless of all of those other markers, it's Christ in you. That is the hope of glory. And if we are all becoming more like Christ, then we should see and become more like each other because he is working himself in us for our sake and for the sake of us all. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.